Warning. This podcast contains spoilers. Third World Cinema Club. So, welcome everyone to uh, another episode of Third World Cinema Club. I'm John Tawasel from the blog Present Confusion. I am Jim from the blog Jimili Colati Bapa. And I'm Engelbert Rafferty of the blog Film Police Reviews. So today, um, if if there are international guests out there, hello. <laughs> you have discovered our podcast. We'll try to speak English as best we can, but of course, no guarantees. If we speak <laughs> accidentally in Filipino, we'll try to explain. <laughs> what we said to you. So we will be talking about uh, selected films from the recently concluded We Are One Global Film Festival. It's a free uh, online film festival, the first of its kind on YouTube. Uh, it's uh, it's the brainchild of a of of uh, para, um, what do you call this a. What uh, collaboration between some of the top film festivals in the world. So they all curated um, a couple of films, some shorts from their programs in the past, and they decided to show it to us for free. And um, I guess before we, we start talking about the films, uh, what did you guys think about uh, the festival? Yeah. So I, I guess I guess I'll start. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I watched a lot of the films. I'd say about including the shorts and the VR seg, the VR features. I've watched like at least twenty films. So it, it it really feels like, and we're watching this in the middle of the night because uh, it starts I, I think seven p.m. Amer- I, it starts seven a.m. American time or something like that. And then it goes all the way to 7 p.m. But here in the Philippines, um, it starts 7 p.m. and then it ends 7 a.m. So it's like a night shift kind of thing. And it really feels like you're watching a film festival with like-minded folks around the world. Uh, we noticed a lot of uh, Indian uh, audience members and in just, just a few hours behind us. So they're also watching in the middle of the night. And... Um, Watching these films live as they are premiering is a very nice experience, especially um, sometimes in the chat, the director will be there or, or in the case of um, restored films, uh, someone from who, just, who was involved in restoring the film or, or the curator is in attendance to give some facts. And... Yeah, it's it's the closest thing to a film festival without going out, in my opinion. And they they raised some money for uh, for charity. I think up to date, uh, if you combine it all, it's around thirty thousand dollars. So that's not anything to scoff at. And I hope they continue this in the future, especially. If the you know the pandemic still continues up to next year, I don't. I hope this is not a uh, one-time thing. Uh, what do you guys think about the We Are One Global Film Festival? Do you want to start, Jim, or is it okay if I can start? Ah, you can start. Go ahead, Raf. Okay. Um, personally, the effort is very commendable. The way the films were curated was, for me, it's very spot on. How Many films reflect uh, the current situation that we have um, in every single aspect of the world. And at the same time, the way um, these um, films encourage us to watch them, uh, not just, you know, to be placed in in a platform like YouTube. Um, We Are One Film Festival is more or less um, a valiant effort to bridge every single people all over the world to attend what we love, which is cinema. And 
um, that right there is just as commendable as it's gonna get. Uh, with the films that were shown, or at least with the films that I've seen, I would have to say that many of these films are well-made. Um, they're not just like, um, you know, random films uh, or mediocre films that uh, were shown to people because um, it's for free or whatever. Um, these were definitely well-made, especially some of the films that I will be talking about um, in this podcast. I have to say that there is <clears throat> there is that feeling, or how do I say it? Um, there is this feeling wherein I feel like it's going to be just for this year because of the pandemic that we are in at the moment. But like what Doc said, I feel like this should continue in the coming generations or in the coming years because not only does this, does this help us um, create a new platform for what many people are dubbing as the new normal, but this is more of like an opportunity for each people to share their talents, to share their opinions, and to share their love for cinema. Um, one other platform that has done this in the past would be Letterboxd, um, wherein it served as a social media of sorts for cinephiles or for people who love cinema. With We Are One, this is more or less a culmination of what Letterboxd has done in the past, which is to bridge every single person from different parts of the world, like say Africa or Asia or Northern America, and you know put them all together in this single uh, you know, concept or single construct that helps us bind each other together and appreciate what we all love, which are films, uh, regardless of what runtime it is, um, regardless of what culture it presents, regardless, regardless of what themes it presents. And for me, again, that is very commendable. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, it's... I, I think in the course of the film festival, a lot of uh, cinephiles have banded together and formed their own groups in Instagram, Letterbox, or what have you. Uh, after viewing the films together, and it's it's really a multinational audience, and it's one of the since this is a global film festival, right? So it's 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 quite a sight to see people from all over the the globe, like. Not just India, there were Japanese viewers, there were viewers like myself from the Philippines, there were viewers from South America, viewers from Australia, New Zealand, of course the United States, Europe. Um, they were all present and they were they were all watching the films together. It's 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 not it's not gonna be like a one for one replacement for the real thing, like watching communally in a cinema. But that, that communal spirit of watching films together uh, with people of maybe like-minded people or maybe people who think or who like films just like you, um, it's, it's really a, it's, it's a fun experience. Mm. Oh, yeah. But I also have to add, Doc, that um, with, the, um, with the conception of We Are One, um, it also puts into question what the future of theater chains might have or, or like actual film festivals like they can or Berlin or Venice. Um, we have no idea what's going to happen or what's in store for them in the future. Many people believe that it shouldn't, they shouldn't be phased out because... Yeah, yeah. The, the 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 tradition and the culture that they that have been embedded in the creation of these festivals are are should never be forgotten and should never be thrown away just like that but at the same time we are in a day and age wherein um streaming platforms are a thing uh wherein um the internet serves as an avenue or as a platform to watch films or regardless of what length if it's short or full length um but again, we need to um, understand that this just serves as like one of many other platforms that we may see in the future uh, to adapt to what's going on with our society, with, with what's going on in our world. Yeah, <clears throat> um, it's, uh, the, the theater is not going to die that easily. 
um, theater experiences are still a very unique experiences. And the, the industry is going to have to do a lot of things to adapt to that because we just we can't go out on, in, in mass anymore. Um, I mean, streaming is a option. Uh, video on demand, pay-per-view, that's also an option. Um, and also, you know, free festivals like this. So we'll have to see what, ha what happens next. So how about you, Jim? What do you think about the festival that just concluded? Um, I thought at first that uh, We Are One Festival will only showcase uh, films that are um, shown in Cannes Film Festival. And then uh, later, later on, I learned that uh, the films shown in uh, we are one festival, or the films that are included in the lineup were films curated by EIFF, uh, Venice, uh, Berlin, Mumbai. So it's really a global film festival. And uh, because of that, I believe that we're able to see uh, what kind of filmmaking are they doing. And aside from that, we were also able to see the culture of. Um, different countries hmm. all right um that's good good points both of you so i guess let's start discussing the films with that we saw we're, we're each gonna discuss two films that we saw in the festival um and what we thought about it uh, about those films so let's start with i guess let's start with me <laughs> um the first film i want to discuss is uh Ice Cream and the Sound of Raindrops. It's a Japanese film, so it's from the Tokyo International Film Festival. It's a 2017 film by filmmaker Daigo Matsui. Uh, Matsui was, is responsible for films such as Japanese Girls Never Die, um, Daily Lives of High School Boys, that's a, that's a manga slash anime adaptation, and also uh, films like um, Afro Tanaka. So... Films about the youth, youth culture, and so on. But formally, in terms of form, this is very different. Um, Ice Cream and the Sound of Raindrops is, is shot in one take. And it, um, it's about uh, this uh, youth troupe or troupe of young actors who are going to present a play. Uh, this is a staging of uh, Simon Stephen's Morning. If you know that, if you know that, um, if you know that play, it's a play where uh, two friends kidnap, I think, a classmate or a mutual friend, and then just nonchalantly kill that person. And it's about it's about the youth committing crimes. But like I said in my review, I, I'll just link it to it in my blog. Um, the film is like an antithesis to that play because it, um, although there's a bit of anxiety, maybe even a bit of pessimism about the future, it's, there's still a bit of hopefulness and, and uh, it's, it's a sense of like youthful defiance in, in the face of, you know, what, what the older generation dictates dictates to them because this youth troupe um, like uh, a few weeks before the staging of the play hit mm -hmm. uh, um, the play is cancelled but uh, <laughs> something like some cost fallacy or something like that you know we, we, we just can't give up on this they say to themselves so they just continue doing uh, they continue uh Rehearsing the play until the play itself, where they physically well, spoiler alert, they physically barge into the the what do you call this? They physically barge into the theater hall to stage the play by themselves. And yeah, it's it's this is um, the the form the experimentation in form works. Um, the one take thing makes it look like we're watching a memory being played out again. So like um, 
when the characters are in quote unquote real life, um, we have a wide, uh, large aspect ratio, and then it becomes widescreen when they're actually doing the play. But sometimes, um, especially near the the third act of the film, you don't really, you can't tell anymore, or it's hard to tell if you know the 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 things that they're acting out is true or not, because it's 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 beginning to you know beginning to mix together so yeah it leads out like a, a memory with friends if you ever had good experiences with friends you're trying to recall those memories everything like gets jumbled together especially if you're working on something like like this like a play or a project together there's this feeling of community uh, within the youth like we, we we must band together to you know, to overcome the future, even though the future seems hopeless, um, and it might just be hopeless. That's that's con- contained in their end monologue. Um, there's a quote that one of the cast members says. It's a Brian Cox quote. Uh, we are, we are the cosmos made conscious. So, like, it's a statement of bravado. Like, look at us. We are unique beings in the universe. At the same time, um, acknowledging that you know, acknowledging that within this universe they're so like infinitesimally small. They're they're so insignificant compared to the bigger picture. But they're trying to you know mark their place out in the world. So that, I, I really enjoy this film, um, and uh, uh, I. Because of this film, I'd like to revisit Matsui's earlier, you know, filmography, because he's always he's always been discussing these things in in such interesting ways. Um, have any of you seen Ice Cream and the Sound of Raindrops? I have, I have, <clears throat> and um, just very, I guess, very quick thoughts about the the film. It's a little personal for me, um, I must say, because. Um, when I was in elementary, I um, attended impromptu theater uh, with a bunch of my um, grade school classmates. So <clears throat> that that feeling that they have that was shown in Ice Cream and the Sound of Raindrops, at least the feeling of the children, it, I definitely felt that. You know, there was one time where our play was also canceled. And you can just imagine uh, the stress that you had to go through after months and months of belaboring uh, this specifically. Our play at the time was Death of a Salesman by Arthur Miller. I remember perfectly. And, um, you know, you, you can just feel that there was so much stress in putting up like the props, um, the acting, um, the technical dress rehearsals, oh my goodness, there were so much stuff that we had to do. And there were multiple PDRs that we had to, you know, to go through so that we can accomplish our play. And then the storm happened and then um, the school decided to cancel the whole thing. So it was a, v- a bit personal for me when I saw Ice Cream and the Sound of Raindrop. Um, as a whole, as a film, I must say that the one take worked. Um, it was very, because I'm not really that big of a fan of one take, um, like in 1917, I'm not a big fan of it at all. Uh, so when I saw this, it felt exactly like that Filipino film that I saw years ago, which is Shadow Behind the Moon by Junlana. Um, although with Junlana, it's totally different, but I guess the feeling of claustrophobia was there in the one take. Um, what do you call this, in, in the way um, Ice Cream and the Sound of Raindrops captured the essence of the youth. Because I feel like that was what it's trying to show, um, the, the resistance of the youth uh, and at the same time, the idealism that they still have. Um, because, hey, they're young. It's just about right for them to feel that way. Um, they have no idea what's out there in, in reality. And it's really hard for you to accept something that's just gonna fade away when you put out so much when you've exerted so much in 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 the things that you want to show and I, I really like that there were instances wherein the characters would break the fourth wall and then there were alternating changes in the aspect ratio that was very amazing and I feel like um 
ice cream and the sound of raindrops will uh will be will grow even more or will grow on me even more in the future when i revisit it or if there is an opportunity for me to revisit it all right um i guess that's it <laughs> i agree with you yeah it's, it's a very um it's part of these kids know that um they they don't want the what they worked hard for to be for nothing even though you know technically it's for nothing they they just want to risk it all for this one thing that they they poured their blood sweat and tears into so yeah um let's go to the next film yeah um for from jim uh this is uh, crazy world by igg nabuana it's uh, originally a 2014 film, but it was translated and released at the Toronto International Film Festival in last year, with where it got a pretty good reception. And yeah, um, so this is a film about. Oh, how do I describe this film? It's a film about. <laughs> it's a film about kidnapping, and yes. there's there's a crazy guy. Like trash Joker, <laughs> and shenanigans happen. And there's also a crazy is probably an understatement. <laughs> yeah, crazy is like the least <laughs> impactful word you can say to describe it. So, Jim, exactly. um, what what can you say about Crazy World? Uh, okay, uh, just to uh, give an idea regarding Crazy World. Crazy World revolves after a commando's daughter is kidnapped by the Tiger Mafia. And then he goes insane and starts of another kidnapped child. Um, in my opinion, um, Crazy World is a highly entertaining film. Um, surprisingly, I liked it. Um, some people might find it laughable because of the effects, but it is the film's quirkiness that will draw or get your attention, knowing that the production has no budget and then. Um, the props are DIY. Um, for me, it's pretty impressive. And I think if we're going to do a film like that, or if we're going to do a film like um, Crazy World here in the Philippines, well, uh, it will have a laughable reception or it will be heavily criticized. That's why uh, this trashy film kind of filmmaking is only working or effective in Hollywood and Nollywood, I guess. Yeah, uh, these films were made on the average for around 200 US dollars in Philippine currency. That's eight, around 8,000 pesos, give or take. So it's it's really a, I think the, 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 the most, endearing thing about it I, I think endearing is a nice term to describe it is is how much these guys poured their efforts into making the film it doesn't i mean they they made this um nabuana used a computer made out of spare parts to do the special effects and to edit the thing and overall it's actually quite a fun film like throw all of your conceptions about like narrative and aesthetics, just throw it out of the window for 65 That's minutes. That's true. <laughs> and just just sit back and enjoy. These are the films that, uh, you know, that are meant to be enjoyed by people. And But this, at the same time, um, this film is actually, a, this film actually has a bit of commentary with it because um, I watched a, a feature about Crazy World when it debuted debuted at um, Toronto. And they were talking about um, Nabuana made this film so that his kids would not be kidnapped. Because kidnapping kids for ritual sacrifice is very common in, in a couple of African nations. And he wanted to put a stop to that uh, practice. And he's, he's calling attention to that here um as well as you know there there's also a character here who's the that commando who went insane yeah 
um there's also a commentary on how how like um what do you call this Ugandan society treats the mentally ill and there's also um there's there are also some little things like there's this part where there's a scammer and he scams a person and that's a very common occurrence in the country and so parang in in his own way the the film in their own way the filmmakers are trying to um trying to show us what life is like in their country even with all the silliness that's going on so yeah i i, I really this is one of my favorite films that i've seen this year um and it's going to be hard to top this one in terms of enter, entertainment value not that there are many challengers because you know uh, <laughs> the the cinemas are closed but yeah how about you uh rafi what what do you think about crazy world no well i don't really have much to say because when i saw it i was just like super amazed um, especially after because before i watched it i had to revisit my viewings of who killed captain alex and bad black so when i when i saw it like when i saw crazy world it was very amazing i think it's very it's really very hard to describe because the the narrative is so meta like you can go on and on with a description of the story um and like if i were to describe the story it might take me forever in a day but uh, with the film itself um it would really be best for you to see it for you to understand and for you to get why a lot of people love it why a lot of people love hollywood and i, I also just want to um also agree with um kuya jim with what he said earlier that if this were placed in the philippine context because hey a lot of our films there are definitely a lot of films that we have that are a bit similar i must say to the cinema of hollywood but then again, they're not welcomed. Probably it's also because of um, the intentions, number one, and at the same time, uh, the way the story was told. With Wakaliwood or their cinema, it has this unique, frenetic sort of energy to it that just pulls you at the edge of your seat. Like you really want to watch every single scene. Yeah, every yeah, single yeah. The, the thing is, it's, it's Crazy World is not a boring film at all. It's not, not a boring all. film. And um it's true. Mm-hmm. It's engaging I, actually. Super engaged for 65 minutes. And um I'm gonna for for an international audience who doesn't know what, what we're doing here in the Philippines, I, I watched I've been watching a lot of really, really bad Filipino films in the past, say five or the six trashiest. years. <laughs> yeah, the trashiest, most you know, most worthless films coming from this country and i i can say that i guess 90, 80 to 90% of those films are boring they they're not very exciting um and the and the small fraction of films that are are bad um are there are so bad that you know they're actually quite enjoyable to watch uh, ironically uh, you know, there, there, there are very, there are very few films like that. Although I think, in the proper context, you know, if you you market these films as bad films, there will be people who will go to watch this. I, 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 I really believe that. I, I think somewhere out there in the Philippines, there's an audience for these kinds of bad films, bad entertaining films. So yeah, that's that's one of my dreams actually is to hold a bad film festival here in the Philippines. But I don't know if the filmmakers' egos will, you know, accommodate. But <laughs> <laughs> oh, here's my film. Here's you called it bad. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> We're gonna make money off of it, you know. But but that's a good thing though. The 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 intention of what you want to do, doc, because um you'll never know. You might find a diamond in the rough in the process, you know. Yeah, that's true. Um, so yeah, uh, that, that's really one of my, my you know my my uh, driving ide- ideals, I guess. When I watch movies, it's it's just sift through all of that of all of those films because some of these films just rarely, just one in a million, maybe one in a thousand, 
one of those films will turn out to be something actually quite great. So, yeah. So, I guess let's go to the next film. Uh, it's yours, Rafi. Uh, it's uh, Eve Aleu. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. So, Eve um, of course, just, just to give you an idea, this film was, I believe it was only shown for like 24 hours. Yes. And Ib Ali U for me is a very well, political. Is also an understatement if I if I were to add it. It's a very satirical approach into presenting the current situation or the current society of India. Um, so to give everyone an idea of what the film is about, it's about this this guy. He's a migrant. Like he just moved to the city, and he's uh, trying to look for a job. Um, and but he's not, I guess, the most capable person. Like he doesn't even know how to use a computer, for God's sake. Um, but his sister uh, tried to help him look for a job, but the job is for him to be a monkey repeller. And in India, or in Indian, in the Indian society, monkey repellers are a thing because um, there are definitely, obviously, there are a lot of monkeys in India from the way I see it after I saw the film. And monkeys are very sacred to them because they have a god named Haruman. Um, and Haruman is, um, at least um, his physical appearance is likened to that of a monkey. Or, yeah. So uh, his job as a monkey repeller um, brought him to, I guess, humiliating situations. Uh, and that made him do the things that he did in the film. Yeah, he's he's <laughs> not really very good at repelling monkeys or he, he can't do good. the noises. Yeah. He can't do he, the noises. He, the title Ib Aleu, it's um a way to describe what the monkey repeller should be doing to uh not really tame but more of like control the monkeys so that they would you know, go to the certain places they need to go to. Um, so, Ib Ali U for me is a very powerful film. And it's a film that, well, for me, it reminded me so much for some reason, can't stress this enough, of a film that I saw three years ago at Cinema One Originals. So, Cinema One, or One Originals is a film festival we have here in the Philippines, which also showcases international films. And one of the films that I saw there three years ago is also an Indian film by Amit Masurkar. It's called Mutan. Um, it's a very political uh, film. That, and that film talks about um, suffrage and voting. It's totally different from Ib Aleu, but Ib Aleu has that same feeling or that same, uh, that same vibe that Mutan emits. Um, the way it presents its satire is very spot on. Um, it's more of like a presentation or presentation of the case system in India. Even though a lot of people are saying that there are no more case systems anymore or there are no more social structures or whatever, it feels like the way Anjani, the, the main character of the film, was presented in the film, it's like he's he's one of the pariahs. He's one of the, the lowest of the low. Being a monkey repeller doesn't mean that he has like uh, many privileges and like many of the characters that were on the film. He doesn't have the power. He doesn't have the capacity to, to move to greater heights or find his greener pastures. That's why he's forced into these situations that society is forcing him to be into. And that's... That's, it's very powerful for the director to show this because um, many people many people do not know what the Indian society or at least what the status quo of the Indian society is at the moment. Probably because there are also a lot of stuff going on in um, with our, with different countries like ours, for example. And I, and I have to you know put that on record. Um, with Ib Aleu, it draws out some sort of nationalism. To, especially to its Indian viewers, I must say, because the way they presented poverty and the way they framed it, it's so, you, you wouldn't really feel sympathy. Sympathy is 
uh, is a bad word to use. I feel like it's more like you, you'd empathize for them. You'd feel like, why do they have to be in those situations or why do they have to struggle? Why are there a lot of people in India who are forced to go with contractual jobs or be forced out of employment because of their incapabilities? This means that it reflects what kind of government or what kind of society India has. It's neoliberal approach to handling its citizens. And at the same time, the way it also presents even the undercurrent of violence. Um, I read this from Philbert D. before, uh, because he also wrote like a review for Eve Aleu. Um, he was just trying to describe um, that there's some sort of violence being presented, but it's not on screen. Like it's, it's, somewhere that that you have to like read between the lines for you to understand. Although I didn't get it at first viewing, but when I saw it the second time around, um, I feel like there definitely is some sort of violence, but not really violence, but more of like um, a disparity between those who are capable, those who are in power, or at least have some sort of power, like um, Anjani's sister, or Anjani's brother-in-law, they have some sort of power still for them to move out and about in the society. Anjani doesn't have that or doesn't have that privilege. So you put into question what kind of society India has, and at the same time, it puts you into question what actions must be taken by citizens or at least by its officials for us to move away or veer away from that society. So it's a very powerful film, and I feel like everyone should see it if given the opportunity. Yeah, uh, I. This is an uh, This is uh, Pratik Vat's debut film, um, and it's a really, it's a really good depiction of well, uh, I guess Indian society for one. I I saw this film as a film with a, a film of hierarchies actually, a film of uh, power structures. And the implied violence that is carried out in the film is due to those power structures. Um, see the the langurs, the they antagonize the monkeys. The monkeys antagonize the people. The people mm-hmm. can't do anything about them because the monkeys are st- are sacred. Uh, on the other hand, the um, Anjani's boss um, berates Anjani, mm-hmm. and then Anjani's superior berates Anjani's boss. So it's like a dog-eat-dog world where ev- there's always a bigger fish. Even within Anjani's own, uh, Anjani's own family, um, his sister, if you look at the family dynamics, his mm-hmm. sister is trying to be the dominant one in the family. She's, um, she's pregnant. She's trying. She controls her husband, who is a security guard. The said security guard is also um, you know, also controlled at work by his superiors. He's made to, he's made to have a gun that he doesn't want to use, and she tries also to control her other, her brother and her husband in the family. And um, there are symbols in the movie where uh, that suggest like mobility within these structures for for people at the bottom to try to go up. For Anjali's case, it's it's the monkey costume. So by or the langur costume, yeah, the I langur think. costume. By becoming the langur, he's superior to the monkeys. He's now at the top of the food chain. But for this, for for you know, for his original thinking, for trying to to do some sort of social mobility, to try to go up the these power structures, he's ridiculed, he's beaten down, he's you know. The, the authorities don't listen to him. Just their their script is follow follow what we tell you to do and don't do anything else. Um, in the case of his brother-in-law, it's the gun. Uh, there's a pivotal scene, actually the climactic scene of the film, if if um, other than another spoiler-filled scene, um, where this his security guard brother-in-law um, uses the gun. As a as a parang a, a tool of power to use over um, someone who's harassing his wife over some work, and he feels that that power 
come over him. It's it's, it's because of anger. But you know, the 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 roles, the power dynamic is reversed at that moment. And for that, he's he's not he doesn't feel triumphant after the fact. He doesn't feel like he should continue doing it. He gives away the gun to Anjali, who se- who sells it to a costumer. So yeah, uh, it's and it also kind of relates to the current state of Indian society because Hanuman, the the god Hanuman, there are some groups um, that uh, connect the god with nationalistic beliefs and. Mm-hmm. Uh, India is currently going through a very nationalistic phase right now, and we'll we'll be discussing those um, topics when we go to another film that we're going to be discussing today. So yeah, I think this is an important film. I hope for some reason all of the Mumbai film festival entries have limited numbers of screenings, but for, to the people who watched it, you're very lucky, and to those who haven't watched it yet, if you can find it. Legally, of course, online somewhere or whatever. Yeah, please go out and see this film. It's very important. I film. agree, definitely. So um, let's go to yeah. Speaking of you know, speaking of Indian films, let's go back to my my second film that I'll discuss today. It's called Nasir. Um, it's it's a film, the second film by Arun Kartik, and I um. I actually learned of this film because uh, one of my favorite Indian filmmakers, uh, Piranjit, he, I, I think he endorsed this on Twitter, and then one of the audience members said, "Oh, look at this! There he's uh, watch Nasir. It's a very interesting film." And of course, it's a like like Ibaliu. It's a limited screening. I think it was available for only twenty four hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, twenty four or forty eight hours. I'm not sure. Um, 24. 24, yeah. Uh, okay. So, um, Nasir, the titular character, is a sari salesman. He lives in a city called uh, Coimbatore, Coimbatore um, in India. And uh, uh, at the very start, you know, you can hear the, the Muslim call to, peri- to prayer. So, you know that Nasir is a Muslim. And this film plays out like a slice of life for the most part, actually. Um, it, it details his life um, going out. He's, he's a very, he's a kind-hearted man. He's loving. He loves his, uh, his, his mother is sick, very sick with cancer. His wife is visiting relatives, so he has to spend the day alone. Um, but you know, historically, in in the context, this city was the site of multiple violent riots against the Muslim population because of um, nationalist Hindu movements that have been proliferating, especially in the wake of um, in the wake of you know the 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 election of the current president Narendra Modi and his party. Um, you can hear a hateful rhetoric, you know, just um, in the background. And, you know, people talking out of earshot about, oh, look at these Muslims. They're, you know, they're, they're trying to take our jobs, something like that. So hate is all around Nasir, but he's not personally affected by this hate until the very end. Because this film reminds me a lot of uh, Ryan Coogler's 2013 film uh, Fruitvale Station. Oh yeah, yeah. So in which there's a you know a normal character going about their daily life, and then they're subject to systematic violence, um, uh, sponsored or maybe not sponsored or um, rooted sometimes in the state. So yeah, it's it's. You know what's going to happen, but it's still a very disturbing, very powerful moment. And um, yeah, it's, it's a, for me, it's an unforgettable film. As a Muslim myself, it's, it's very, it, it chills me to the bone that such violence can occur so rapidly in the blink of an eye. And, and things end just like that. Yeah, so it's a yeah. I, I hope, like Ib Aleu, it's a very important film. I hope you guys get to watch it if you can. Please find a copy. 
um, it for me personally, some of the best films of this festival have been the Indian entries. I agree. And let's put into context the aspect ratio of Nasir. Yeah, it's four, four to three. Yeah. I, I think that really contributes to um, how Nasir's presentation of the communal bigotry in India is presented. Um, the way um, that, that aspect ratio, it, it's kind of like his dungeon. It's like he, he, even though he, he goes about with his daily life, you know, we see him, he's a romantic, um, he, he, he has a lot of things on yeah. his plate. But at the same time, um, the fact that he is a Muslim, the fact that his religion is Islam, and it's a minority in India because it, uh, the, the prevalent religions in India are Hinduism and Buddhism um, and other, other, what do you call this, other uh, religions there that are rooted in Hinduism. Um, it's like he, he's not in the right place. It's kind of like it's presenting him as he's locked in a place where he's not supposed to be at. Although he loves, you know, there, there, there's definitely that feeling of romance in him. The way, he, um, the way the director presented Nasir, he's a very romantic guy. Um, he, there's definitely that sort of love in him. But it's not letting, there's like a hindrance that's blocking him, that's barricading him from presenting this because of his identity. And to me, that's also very similar to Eve Alayton's presentation earlier with, with the social system, only this time it's rooted in religion. It's rooted in the history of India. Um, there must have been some sort of, you know, a, a, an inexplicable sort of hate towards Muslims. That's why he has to experience what he had to experience. And there was this one part uh, you know, the, the, there were people who were, like, chanting, um, Hail Mother India. Yeah. <laughs> that caught me off guard. <laughs> yeah, yeah so, it's, 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 it's part of national pride eh, uh, in making, like, for example, Hinduism the official state religion. There are some, um, the, they, they did a thing where um, non-Hindus are stripped of their citizenship. There, mm-hmm. there was a thing like that uh, earlier, if, if not earlier this year, late last year, um, and so on. And, and, and it's it just erupts. It's this this like they're they're trying to stoke this fire, and then one there's a flashpoint or something like that where this this thing just bursts in 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 you know in uh, a violent uprisings like it. It recently happened in that city in 2016. So this is based on two events. Oh, I oh I didn't know that. I thought yeah. it was okay. And um, well, not Nasir necessarily, but the riots they really happened like that. And mm-hmm. um, this was uh, this was also based on I think a short story uh, called A Clerk's Story, uh, made mm-hmm. in 2012, which is which was based on an earlier riot. I think in the late 80s or something like that, when again, um, anti-Muslim violence, you know, erupted in that city. So it's it's cyclical. It it happens, you know, it continuously happens. It it doesn't stop happening, but it's it's both a warning and, um, you know, it's a chilling reminder of what can happen if we let hate go unchecked. Mm-hmm. The you know the the tragedy of normal people. Yeah, and and you put into question in in the process of watching this year. You put into question if do we do people really have the right to dream? Like, do we really have the right to to desire what we want to desire to to live a life that's just you know filled with peace and connection and unity. Um, at least the unity and diversity is at least what it's championing, what the film is championing. And that's very admirable because we are we are in a world or we are in a society, even in, in our country, I must say, we're in, people are divided because um, people are locked into their ideals and can't accept one's ideals over the other. And to me, if we can just find that common ground with each other, so that we can 
you know, be united, we can have that form of solidarity that, that the world needs, then the world will be a better place. But until that happens, there will be people like Nasir and there will be people similar to his background who are forced or who are rendered speechless, who are rendered silent because of the situation, because of, you know, because of the mindset of the people. And Nasir and, and all of the other Indian films that I've probably seen in the film fest, it talks about this collective unconscious about uh, how people move in their daily lives, how, um, how important the behaviors and cultures and ideals are informing um, probably that universal consciousness that we all need uh, to have. At least once we have that or once we're able to find that, then we can prevent ourselves from trampling each other down. From that even with other religions, even with other social backgrounds, even with our incapabilities, then we can say that we can live in a state and we can live in a peaceful world. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Uh, let's go to Jim, your next film. Uh, it's uh, The Distance Between the Sky and Us. It's a Greek short film, right? Um, could you tell us about the film and what you thought about it? Uh, yes, it's a Greek film. Actually, uh, the film received the Palm Door Short Film Award as well as the Queer Palm mm-hmm. for um, Short Film Category. Yeah, And I also noticed that the actor, Nikos Zinigluvu, uh, the name of the lead actor. Yeah. Uh, look, he looks like Joel Kinnaman. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then um, uh, I'm impressed with the luscious cinematography of the film, and I also believe that it's sexy, edgy, and somewhat it has a feeling of a dreamlike uh, quality. Yeah, quality. When I uh, saw the film, it's the most, ano, it's the sexiest uh, solicitation of twenty-two fifty euros. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's 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 a it's an interesting short film. Uh, casual yes. encounter. You know, these are two strangers in the middle of the night. There, mm-hmm. one of them is one of them is heading towards a hookup, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the other one, she you know, just lounging around, and then they they find this moment together because you know one of them is broke and needs to go to this mm-hmm. hookup, but he doesn't have the money, and 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 um, it it would have been a lesser film if not for the performances of both actors. I mean, they're both mm-hmm. excellent in this role. It, it they're they have chemistry uh, at least to me. Uh, it's it's. Yeah, it's an effective piece. Yeah, uh, Rafi, what do you think uh, about? Have you seen this film? And I saw it. Um, I'm not entirely sold with the whole thing. I felt like it was. I think I'll, I'll play the devil's advocate. Uh, I liked it, but I had reservations with it because I felt like it was. Well, first it was too short. <laughs> I think it was just like eight or nine minutes, um, and yes. then mm-hmm. um, I felt like. There could have been done more with the tension. I think that was the point, but I felt like I wanted more from the tension that the characters had. Um, and there was that situation wherein that the guy was like, he was afraid to, to get hurt like uh, because of, you know, falling in love or, you know, falling into that other person. It's like, what? Okay. But I think that was the point of the film. I was just not sold buy it <laughs> mm, okay oh i see mm, i got it but you know what um rafi uh what i like about this film is that you feel immediately the sexual tension of two characters on screen even in a short period of time although i also agree, I agree. that i think they could have done more right yeah <laughs> this could be a, have been a longer yeah. film well, you know after the but the, the bike ride together mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, let's go to the final film. Wow. So, um, 
the final film in our list uh, is going to be introduced by Rafi. It's a 1928 film by yeah. Franz Austin. Yeah, it's called Shiraz: A Romance of India, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, it stars Himansu Rai and Enakira Marao, and adapted mm-hmm. from a stage play of the same name by Niranjan Pal. Uh, based on it's a fictionalized version of the commissioning of the Taj Mahal. So, mm-hmm. so Rafi, your thoughts on Shiraz? Uh, it's, um, it's yeah, it's a re- restored version of the film. Care of the B- BFI? Yeah. Um, I think what what uh, Shiraz tries to present to us, at least the the I, well, I haven't seen the unrestored. I only I've only seen this film, um, but. It was very beautiful. I mean, from from start to finish, uh, you you just have to admire that in, in 1920s India is able to put out such a luscious and such um, beautiful cinematography. Like the way they presented the verisimilitude of the film uh, of 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 India, uh, even the Taj Mahal, or at least the way it was presented, it was very beautiful. Um, Shiraz, um, for those who do not know it, uh, well, I have to say that before before I dive into it, my context or my knowledge of of the story of the Taj Mahal is only based on what I remember from Danny Boyle's Slumdog Millionaire. Hmm. Um, because they were talking about how the Taj Mahal was created there. Um, so I, have, I had no idea that this, at first, I didn't know that it was a fictionalized version of it, wherein um, right from the start, there was this this kid, this 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 child who was, um, you know, uh, she was fostered by a, a potter, uh, and then eventually she she becomes a very beautiful woman named Salima, um, and his uh, her brother, or quote unquote brother, who is the titular character of the film Shiraz. He falls in love with his sister, but they're not really sisters because, um, of course, Selima is fostered. Um, and then uh, stuff happened. Let's just put it at that. Um, Selima got kidnapped, and then uh, she becomes the eye of uh, this prince who eventually becomes Shah Jahan, who. And eventually they fall in love with each other and whatnot. But then Shiraz um, is left on the on the blind on, on the wayside. Like he he's still there, who's fallen in love with, who, who, who is still in love rather with with Selima, and connives or creates this weird plan with uh, with the wife or the original or the legal quote unquote wife of Shah Jahan to. So I guess he really wanted to get Selima back. He wanted to get... Eventually, Selima becomes Mumtaz Mahal. Um, I think I'm just rambling here. Um, because the story itself is... It's not really that um, that complicated. It's a very straightforward story. Almost like a retelling of what happened. So there's not much to get out of it. But what you will really get out of watching Shiraz would be the experience of seeing the cinematography from seeing the the landscape that the film has presented and oh my goodness that that freaking score from Shankar that yeah. score really got me like yeah. this was a no this was a specially uh, commissioned score by Anushka Shankar um, she's yes. the daughter of master Ravi Shankar so mm-hmm. in that sense uh, Anushka Shankar is Nora Jones half sister <laughs> Yes, and it, it, the the way she ma- she made that score, it was just, uh, it was so captivating. Like you, you can't pull yourself out of the film because of that score, because of the cinematography. And again, I must say, the story is again not that complicated. You just need to watch it. Yeah. It's kind of like a very linear sort of storytelling. Although there are instances wherein you would feel for Shiraz. Like you would empathize for him, but that's about it. Like you just, you see the, <laughs> the events unfold, and then that's it. You just admire the whole scenery, the whole experience. Like, you know, we've been seeing these kinds of romantic plots for hundreds, for a hundred years now, 
Um, and this is a film from the very beginning of cinema that has the same premise. But even so, when I watched Shiraz, you know, I can't help but get a little emotional when I saw what Shiraz did to build the Taj Mahal. Uh, so it's a, it's a nice film. And the cinematography and some of the effects, there I think matte paintings were involved. But some of the, the cinematography for a 1928 film, it's very impressive. It is definitely, and it's definitely one for the books. I would have, I would definitely pay a huge amount of money just to see this in a in a theater. Oh yeah, it would have with a live band or a live you know performance. That live would be amazing. Oh, I will die. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Shiraz is not the only um, restored film from the BFI. They've also. Uh, they also released another film, The Epic of Everest, which is an, I think, 1928 or 1924 film. Catch that. Uh. Yeah, and again, lovely film, great soundtrack. And um, if I think if you be, visit the BFI like um, website or YouTube channel, you can find some of these restored films to view. So, you know, if you have the time, uh, go, go over there and take a look. Yeah. These are films in the public domain, I think. So oh, I didn't know that. So yeah, uh, Shiraz. What a nice film. And you know, um, we're here in Third World Cinema Club. We're very much proponents of love. <laughs> we, we ship these characters or something like that. <laughs> I kid. <laughs> and, and, and I'm a big fan of restorations. Like yes. every 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 opportunity you get to watch a restored film, that's definitely an experience right there. Regardless if the film is good, so long as it's restored. It's like you're seeing a totally new film. You know, yeah. breathe it in new life. And seeing it in relatively high definition, it's like seeing another world. Uh, another time uh, crisply um, captured through film and it's a wonderful thing uh, seeing film is a wonderful thing and I guess with that thought let's end this short episode of Third World Cinema Club uh, I hope you you all enjoyed our English only ramblings <laughs> about <laughs> about global cinema we'll be yeah. back next time with, I did my best <laughs> we did our best <laughs> We're sorry if we, we can our best actually. We're sorry if we cannot <laughs> articulate, you know, that well in English, but you know, we we try. But I feel like we, we tackled mostly Indian films. So it yeah. became it became an Indian film festival now. <laughs> actually both of you. Because I've only had I think I I'm sorry, I've only had few Bollywood films in mind, like films of Amir Khan and Shah Rukh Khan. So I wasn't able to relate with you guys. <laughs> I wasn't able to see it um, during uh, the We Are One Festival, those films that we discussed. Uh, let me see it right here, right now. Uh, among Asian cinema, Indian cinema, especially not just the, you know, the, the blockbusters, the, the, the smaller independent productions, you know, parallel cinema, as they're called in, in some places. Yeah, it, it's some of the best uh, movies in the world. Exactly. In my Even the Tamil, the Tamil films. I've seen a handful of Tamil films, like from um, I forgot the name of the director, Lilo Jose Pelisseri. He has th these kinds of amazing films that are like very beautiful. Um, yeah. And I feel like men many of their cinema um, needs to be checked out, all the way from Satyajit Ray's um, Apotrilogy um, to what they are, you know, showing now. In yeah. the modern modern world. Yeah, definitely. And uh, of course, um, like I said before earlier in the Crazy World episode, also look at the you know the blockbusters. Um, you might find something very very entertaining in their offerings there. So yeah, go world cinema. Well, you know, um, if if you're interested in this kind of content, please follow our blogs or something like that. Yes. We'll please be back. Stand <laughs> yeah. Please, yeah. Please like and subscribe. <laughs> um, on the other hand, we'll be returning to you know Tagalog in the next episode. Yes. At last. So, but if if you know if there's there's an audience, if people show interest in this kind of 
thing. Uh, why not? Let's 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 train our English more for for our, oh. an, another one. <laughs> another one. It's challenging. Another another one. Another DJ. one. <laughs> What what if our audience was Japanese? And so we'd have to train in uh komawa uh We're not third worlds anymore because we're going yeah. uh multilingual. If yeah, we're going global global <laughs> cinema club, first world cinema club. Oh we've already taken But yeah, anyway, that's it. Um I'll see you guys at the virtual movies. And of course, we are one film festival entries there. They're available. Most of them are available seven days up, up from their, you know, from their first screening. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the, all of the VR entries are available up to the 14th, if I'm not mistaken. Plus or minus your time zone, of course. So that's it. Um, we'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Stay safe, guys. <laughs>